uh, chapter 5, sorry, Isaiah chapter 5, he's going to talk about that darkness. And the darkness that he's talking about is exactly where we are as a people today. And so he says in verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And so he goes on and talks about people's addictions after that. But what he's saying is that our darkness is so dark because we call it light. You know, we're living in a culture that if we can't live up to the standard, we just change the standard. You know, that's what we do. And so we go away from the light into the darkness. And Jesus told us, he said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that's where we are, isn't it? Um, as a nation, as a people. Now, later on in chapter 5, verse 30, and then you'll pick it up again in chapter 8, verse 11. He talks about the social, political events that are taking place. And he's saying that people have no hope and no direction. And because they've turned their back upon God, then the darkness becomes very great indeed. So what is the darkness that he was talking about? Now, contemporary with Isaiah, um, he lived during the time when the northern kingdom ceased to exist as a people. When Assyria came in and just wiped all those ten tribes out. That was the time in which Isaiah lived. He lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. But he saw, was witness to that. And if you read 2 Kings, it'll tell you the darkness that he's talking about. You know, we think about darkness and we think, yeah, we know it's dark and all that. Kind of nebulous kind of things. But it's way beyond that. It's way beyond the physical darkness that we experience. It's much more dark and much more severe. Uh, when we were doing the Christmas carols, we went out and ended up at Roy and Mary Ann's, and Norma and Geraldine came over and joined us. But on the way out, uh, Kurt and Vicki were riding with me, and we were noticing out in the countryside between Uvalde and Reagan Wells, there's nothing. And it's dark out there. And Vicki commented, said, man, it is really, really dark. I said, yeah, you get out in the country and you can see the stars. Well, spiritually, that's what's going on within us. Uh, there's no light pollution in our souls and in our lives. So in 2 Kings chapter 17, he talks about prophetically why the 10 northern tribes were destroyed and dropped out of history, starting with verse 7. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. So they were destroyed as a judgment of God because they turned their back upon God and they conformed to the nations around them. Their calling as a people of God was to be a light to the Gentiles. And instead they compromised because it's easier. And because uh, it's more acceptable. And because that's what everybody else is doing. And so they became like the people that they were supposed to witness to. Instead of being transformed, they conformed. And 
God told them way back in Deuteronomy 8, if you become like the nations around you, you will be judged like they are. And that's what took place in 2 Kings 17. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right uh, in the church. People who have the label, but not the content. You ever get a package that has been mislabeled and you bought the thing and you brought it home and you were anticipating what you got and everything and you opened up and it was something entirely different? You know, what a disappointment, what a cheat, what a kind of deal is that? Many people have a label. Christian means Christ-like one, but the content is very, very different. So the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. This is a very sexual-oriented um, religion that they had, kind of like ours is getting to be today, you know, uh, where they glorified um, the sexuality of people and used that, flaunted that as a religious experience. So they baptized their sins and tried to make that acceptable. They made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord God had said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. Now this is the people of God he's talking about here. And so they went away into captivity uh, God brought upon that. So they even sacrificed their children to the idols of pleasure and greed. Does this sound familiar to our social situation today? Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. That's the darkness. So for their darkness, which Isaiah is talking about over here in chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's talking about the people in darkness, their suffering, um, their cities have been destroyed. They've been taken away as slaves into captivity. Um, all their dreams, all their hopes, all their ambitions were down, buried in the dirt. And they were helpless and hopeless. And as the Word of God says, there was no comforter. And so they were in the darkness. In the darkness, at the end of chapter 8, Verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged 
and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's where they are. You know, a few years ago, the President of the United States proclaimed publicly, internationally, we are not a Christian nation. Well, the problem was he was just telling people what was obvious to everybody else. If we were a Christian nation, we would be acting like a Christian nation. So that was where we are. And that's where we are. We're going to see it in the New Testament. Jesus comes as a light in the darkness. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not for lack of trying. Even as a baby, Herod the Great tried to kill him as an infant. So whenever Jesus comes, he comes as a threat. And one of the things that took place is that, you know, Herod, when he comes, this guy had a sexually transmitted disease that was eating away at his private parts. He was in great pain and agony, and it affected him mentally, and he became extremely paranoid. He had a large family. He killed three of his sons, the last one three days before he himself died. He killed his daughter-in-law. He killed his mother. He killed several other members of his family because he saw them as a threat. So for him to make a proclamation to kill all the boy babies in Bethlehem, two years old and under, was nothing. He died later that year, by the way, himself. Uh, and they figured, I don't know how they figured this, but they figured between 10 and 30 infants died uh, during that because it was just a, a village six miles south of Jerusalem. And so the darkness was trying to overcome it. But Jesus comes in the midst of all that darkness, and he tells us that in spite of what we are, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, God still loves us and has given his son to redeem us and call us out of that darkness. So one of the things that happens, though, is things are really, really dark sometimes, but when you light a light, then you, maybe for the first time, notice how dark things really were, you know? It's such a contrast. And when God threw, gave the light of the law in the Old Testament, one of the effects was it intensified the conflict between Israel and God because it pointed out where their sins were and they were not willing to give them up. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7, doesn't he? He says, I, it, I didn't realize, chapter 6 and chapter 7, he says, I didn't realize 
how sinful it was until the law came along and said, that's not right in the eyes of God. And, you know, sometimes we don't even know how sinful we really are. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're okay. We lie to ourselves before we lie to anybody else. And the problem comes when we begin to believe our own lies. And then we, we're back in Isaiah chapter 5. We put good for evil and evil for good. We don't even know the difference between light and darkness anymore. And so Jesus didn't come to reorganize human social and political structures on the surface of life. Uh, things like human trafficking and racism and sexism and abuse and religious and political conflict and on and on and on we could add to that list. He didn't come to reorganize things on the surface because those things could not touch the forces of evil underlying them. You cannot legislate morality. You can try to prevent it from happening, but it doesn't change anything in the heart and souls of people. It doesn't touch that. So that was the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Outwardly, they had the labels, the correct labels, righteous people and all that kind of stuff, and they did try to do the correct things, do the right thing, you know. They tried to live that way, and they did a good job of that. But again, it was all on the surface level, and inside they were still filled with bitterness, hang, anger, hatred, covetousness, jealousy, lust and greed. Didn't change inside at all. So when Jesus came, he was like a light in the darkness, and it showed all of that up in their own heart, and they hated him. So Jesus knew that underneath these forces of evil, uh, these forces of evil are most deadly when they clothe themselves with the structures of what is right and good. Give the appearance. Um, the word for that is hypocrisy. And what it means is you've got a, you're wearing a facade, a mask, and you're showing this mask, you're projecting this mask to everybody. But inside, it's masking the corruption that's really there. So instead, in the incarnation, God strikes at the very root of evil in the enmity of the human heart towards God. And the cross has the effect of emptying the power structures the world loves so much have all their vaunted force. So the deadly root of man's inhumanity to man is the source of all human violence. It's in the wickedness of the human heart, and it is there that it has to be undone. And that's why Jesus came as a light in the world. Catholic theologian Richard Rohr says, Every change of mind is, first of all, a change of heart. And if the heart does not change, new ideas do not last long think about new year's resolutions all the intentions are there i got it set in my mind how many of us live them for how long sadly that's the way we are in our walk with christ we know the scripture we do don't we many of us have been taught since we were small like bubba said difference between the mouth and the way that we live. That's what Jesus came to do. 
So it works out like this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's, he's telling us, with the mouth we confess, but it's got to be more than words, doesn't it? Now Paul's going to tell us in 2 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 12, and John's going to tell us in 1 John chapter 4 that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is accursed if they're speaking by the Spirit of God. And no one speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is doing that in them and through them. Because if the Holy Spirit is the one speaking in us and through us, that means that He is in us and the transformation has taken place. <clears throat> so Jesus comes as a light in the darkness. And Isaiah's response to the people that were in darkness, He has made glorious those people, the people of Galilee. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors you have broken as on the day of Midian. That's Gideon's day, when with his 300, God came down and confused the, the Midianites, and they'd been oppressing them for 80 years, and they were set free. Every brute boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel. Why? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. He is the light shining in the darkness. He is the one that can change and transform people. And I want you to know that in that grotto, that stable, small cave in Bethlehem that night, when Jesus was born and he cried his first cry, the gates of hell shook because they understood and they knew that voice. Did you ever read about the demons when they confronted Jesus? They would come and run and fall at his feet. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew who he was. When he was born, the gates of hell shook. The mighty ones, the great ones of this world, there are only two places where their courage deserts them, which they fear in the depths of their souls, which they dodge and avoid wherever possible. That's the manger and the cross. So this is why in countries which try to oppress Christianity, 
one of the things that they outlaw is Christmas because it's subversive to everything they stand for and they know it. Herod understood it. Uh, later on, the Roman emperors understood it. Uh, if these guys are right, then we're in trouble. And they understood that. So their whole lives were lived as a lie and for nothing. And what does the light that shines in the darkness points out the inconsistencies? So the light of Christ is shining today in our hearts and in our lives. The purpose of the light shining was to bring comfort and hope, purpose and direction. And the light that came, he came to lighten up to let us understand and know that the reason that he came and the reason he was born where he was is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he is the one who transforms us and makes us people who no longer people of darkness, but people of light. And he invites us to participate. It's more than just a one-time thing of the shepherds kneeling at the, at the manger. It's a time that we do this every day where we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and he is the light of our life. And so as we come to communion today, what should be our response? Herod's response was to kill him. The response of most people in the world at that time at the birth of Christ was nothing. They just totally didn't know, didn't care, ignored it. Went on living their life as if nothing had happened, unaware that the opportunity to really enter into life was theirs for the very first time. G.K. Chesterton, a British author, made a statement and he said, when a person finds something for which they value more than life itself, they've just begun to live. And Jesus offers us that opportunity. So what should be our response? We find it in Luke chapter 2. And Mary helps us understand. It's part of the Magnificat. And Mary said, and I want you to do something this morning. Put your name there. Okay, put your name there. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That should be our response, yours and mine today at the birth of Jesus Christ that we celebrate today. God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son unconditional love. And our response back to God is laying down our life and unconditionally giving our hearts and lives back to him as Mary did. Putting her body on the line and saying, God, do in me and through me whatever you choose regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost to me as an individual. At that point, transformation takes place. And that's what he's called us to do. He sealed it 
and helped us to understand when he died on the cross because it's through the forgiveness of the blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven. That's what salvation means. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. In the Old Testament, they called this the bread of the presence. That was the showbread in the holy place. The bread of the presence. It represented the life of God imparted to his people. After supper, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, God says, The life of the body is the blood, and I have given it to you on, as an atonement on the altar as an atonement, forgiveness for your sins. And Jesus is saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's the life of Christ imparted to you and me uh, through his shed blood. And the life is in the blood. And he gives that for you and me. He invites us to come and share this morning. Uh, as we participate in that, it is a participation in the body and blood of Christ. This is just a wafer and some grape juice. But because of what it represents, the life of Christ, by faith, we can receive that anew and afresh. We can come this morning and we can receive a new impartation of his life simply because he is present with us. Um, we can come before him confessing our sins and receive forgiveness this morning if we want to do that. People can be healed this morning as they do that. It's not anything magical here. It's the presence of the Lord and what he has promised. And that's why he came, to make this effective for us. Now, if you're a visitor here, we do this every Sunday because we need it. We need the reminder. Uh, we need the opportunity. Um, if you're a visitor here, you are very welcome to participate. Jesus died for all of us. And the invitation that he has given includes everyone in the, in the whole world. As a church, we also extend our invitation. You are welcome uh, to participate. At the same time, do not feel pressured. If you're uncomfortable with that, no problem at all. We just want you to know that you're welcome and free to come if you want to. So let's pray. Father, you are the light of the world. We pray that you would come into our hearts and transform our darkness into light. And that because of your presence in us, that you can transform us and then we can be the light of the world. We pray, Father, that your life would flow in us and through us to reach those around us. And we thank you, Lord, for the shedding of your blood that means salvation for us. Our sins have forgiven the past is gone, and you are closer to us than our past. Help us to release it into your hands and to look forward to the new life that only you can give as we come before you today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the great sacrifice in being born into our world. And so we ask that you would receive our praise, our worship, as we come before you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.